Hello and welcome to episode number 18 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for 2016. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. I'm doing all right. Um, just been kind of just chilling, relaxing, dealing with this one math class. I did well on the first test. Bought on the second one, but only because the teacher was kind of... I, I, I hate it when teachers do this, where they have a test. The previous test was a certain amount of problems. And the next test is le- a less amount of problems. And then they heavily weigh certain problems over other ones. So if you don't get those right, then you're screwed. And you might get like a decent, oh, more than half of the test right. But that doesn't matter because the other questions were too heavily swayed. So it's just it's so frustrating. It's always the uh, it's always the ones at the bottom where they want you to like like write out this long form like mathematical process. No, the ones that stumped me were the damn graph problems. I hate graphing. Like I even I, I thought I had it figured out, and then it all just left my head already. Apparently, even though I took two of the same class back to back. You know this this year that had to do with graphing, but apparently it just left me. So whatever I learned. And we've quickly come into territory where I feel uncomfortable and frightened. So I'm not gonna comment anymore because math is my enemy. I I don't use it. <laughs> uh, I don't even count. I just so uh, I just say that many and I point and people know what I mean. <laughs> Um, he always he always brings the portable calculator with him wherever he goes. That's in your phone. But your phone is calculator. Well, they, they the fucking the teachers acted like calculators weren't going to be available to you ever yeah. in adulthood. Yeah. And yeah. it's like I have always had a fucking calculator when I've needed to use math. And yes, I can do it without the calculator, but it's just going to take me a lot longer. So fuck it. I'm yeah, using they the calculator. have. Yeah, they have a uh, calculator and non-calculator portions of the test. I tell you what I used to do for if they allow calculators and and like there were formulas that you need to know I'd uh and it's usually like a Texas Instruments like TI thirty XA or something like that uh, it's got that little plastic uh, cover that you can use to cover it up oh, you know where, you know where I'm going with this I would, I would <laughs> I'd write the formulas on the inside of the plastic cover and I'd slide that up every now and then okay so that that's a Pythagorean theorem all right got that little. <laughs> That's, that's a quadrilatic, quadrilatic formula, or whatever the fuck. Quadratic. Formula. Yeah. Ugh. I'm so glad I'm not in college <laughs> anymore. God, I was miserable, horrible times. Uh, wait well, I only have this one math class left, and hopefully, I can transfer to uh, four-year college, uh, the the Washington State, the Cougars campus over in uh, in Vancouver, and I'm gonna get a minor in film studies, so I can do stuff that. Take classes for stuff that I actually am passionate about, and I want to. I'm actually really want to do so. So when you actually uh, when you actually take the piss out of ET, it'll have some weight to it this time instead of you know just some guy. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently I had enough weight to get some stalker to to mess with me on my Facebook page. So that was you crazy. Know. That that was crazy, and it was but it was hilarious though because the guy was so pathetic. The guy who was trolling yeah. in there. Exactly. Um, so welcome to the uh, Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries podcast, folks. Um, you, We are on Patreon now. Uh, thank you for the people who support us already. But if you yes, would like to... Thank you so much. 
If you would like to support us on there, it is uh, patreon.com slash uncovering unsolved mysteries, and you get lots of uh, goodies and bonus content that you will never just get on our Facebook page or anywhere else. So you're definitely going to want to jump over there and check that out. Um, so I'm not going to delay any further about uh, kind of something that I did post on the Facebook page and Patreon account. Uh, that I was alluding to. Uh, a few weeks ago, we covered, uh, well, over the course of this podcast, we've covered uh, Danny Castellaro, um, Chuck Morgan, and Don Devereaux, uh, these specific cases that have to do with uh, the octopus and uh, big uh, CIA and Department of Defense cover-ups. Um, Don Devereaux was a key interview in all of these segments, and Mistaken Hit was actually about journalist Don Devereaux and how uh, his neighbor got uh, assassinated, if you want to use that word, um, and, and the bullet was meant for Don. It was a mistaken identity, and Don ended up surviving, thankfully, and, and Chuck, uh, not Chuck Morgan, but uh, D- Doug Johnson, or whatever his name was, uh, died, unfortunately. So, that segment always bothered me as a, as a kid and growing up and stuff, and, and now, because and, it's on the Ultimate Collection, because it ends with Robert Stack saying something to the... Uh, to the degree of uh, Don Devereaux has recorded from numerous sources that he is next. And then I'm like, okay, well, what the fuck happened to Donnie D after uh, the segment? You know what I mean? Yeah. The segment was like 20 years ago. Like, what happened? You know? So I, I Googled Cliffhanger. Yeah, I Googled him. And, uh, you know, his website came up. So I, I thought I'd click on it and just see if, there, if I could get any more information about this guy. And uh, he's still alive. You know, he hasn't died of old age or anything, you know, because, like, he was older when the segment was even... He looked like he yeah. was in his, like, mid to... 50s. Mid, yeah, mid-50s to early 60s. But he, the guy's still alive. He's he's done a lot of work since uh, Unsolved Mysteries, but, but there's no specifics on what happened, like, after that. Like, what did he have to do? Go into hiding, whatever. So, anyway, long story short, he had an address as his point of contact at the bottom of his website. It was a P.O. box, and I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm I'm going to send him a letter. Maybe since he's older now, maybe he's, like, calmed down with, like, the stuff that he's doing, and he's not, like, super busy. Maybe, just maybe, if I tell him that I have this podcast, he will take the time to write me back. Well, uh, it took about a week and a half, two weeks, but I got a letter back from Don Tevero, and even saying that out loud just sounds really weird because I'm a nobody yeah, I mean, and he's a somebody. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, that shows you that I, I, I think we could probably say officially we've made it in some capacity as a podcast. Right. I mean, the moment when you get somebody that was actually directly involved with the show and was interviewed multiple times, you know, you know get some sort of contact. I mean, that's pretty that's really good. And this, I mean, this guy isn't an extra. He's not an actor. No. This guy was a key interview and, and journalist in these big cases. And, you know, this guy's kind of, uh, you know, he's he's even uh, above that of, like, say, an eyewitness or in, in, uh, some other person being interviewed in any of these other stories who's just, you know, a victim of, of something. And, I mean, I'm not saying that these pe- these victims are nobodies by any means, but I'm just saying, like, this guy had some clout. That's pretty much the point that I'm trying to make. So, I have the letter here right in front of me, and it says Don Devereaux on it, and it's got his address. I don't know if it's his home address, but it's different than the P.O. box that he sent me. Obviously, I'm not going to read this out, but, uh, and it says Mr. Josh Cannon, it has my address and everything, and it's all in his handwriting, I'm assuming, maybe an assistant, I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, and it's got like his own custom Devereaux like sticker seal on the back. I posted an image of this on our Facebook page. If you want to go over there and check it out, it's facebook.com slash uncovering unsolved mysteries. Every fucking thing we are associated with, by the way, is uncovering unsolved mysteries. We got the lock on that name, all right? So I open up the letter, right? And you guys want to know what it says. So I open up the letter and um, it's basically just a letter that looked like it was almost like typed out on a typewriter and it's basically just a information about who Don Devereaux is. It's like Don Devereaux is a graduate of Phillips Academy, a veteran of the US Army during the Korean War um, and just all his accomplishments and accolades. And this is the same exact information you can get off his website. So yeah. you're reading this and you're thinking like, oh, bi big whoop, you know. Yeah, but the stark difference is there is a post-it note attached to this letter, and what I'm assuming is his handwriting because it's signed. He goes, "Mr. Cannon, I'll be happy to talk to you. Give me a call," and he gives me his fucking telephone number. Wow! And he says, <laughs> "Cheers, Don Devereaux, ten fifteen, two thousand sixteen." Um, I still can't quite process that. Honestly, like fanboying, fanboying out. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I didn't know who this guy was until I started, you know, really like doing this podcast and kind of doing research and stuff. But I mean, the fact that our podcast that just started out as as Mike's idea or whatever, you know, and, and yeah. I thought was a dumb idea starting out. I was like, oh, people aren't going to want to listen to this. The fact that it started that started out like this and now we could uh, potentially have an exclusive update about unsolved mysteries from a key interview on the show is just so big for our podcast and just uh, yeah. big for unsolved mysteries fans because that you know i'm assuming i'm going to be calling him within the next few days and i'm gonna make sure i have my shit together so i don't sound like an idiot and like a doofus on the phone i'm gonna ask him if it's okay if i record the conversation and hopefully i can put this conversation out on the uh, SoundCloud for as in a podcast format, so you guys can all get it on your devices, yeah. so you can hear the man himself describe what happened after you know that Doug Johnston guy was taken out, and, and what happened to him after that. Did the government come go after him? Did he have to hide underground for a while? Did he have to change his identity? Um, you will get that update. You will not find this update on any message board, on any Wikipedia page, or anything. He. He this will be exclusive to this podcast, man. Someone, exactly. So I mean, it's I just, really exciting. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. really is. And it's just crazy. And, and I would have never seen this coming either for this podcast. I just thought at first I thought it was just going to be me just every now and then talking in front of my webcam. And then I took a risk and it was a, it was a risk worth taking. And I invited Josh to, to join uh, with me and, and made it more of a podcast thing. And then. You know, the rest is history, and um, this is this is like a turning point. You know, this is like a really, really cool thing, and it, it, uh, thank you, Josh, for actually going out there and writing the letter. You know, that's not something I would really think about doing. Yeah, So, I, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know I don't know why I thought to do it. It was just kind of like on, on, a, on a lark, you know, and this got me thinking, like, who, who else... Yeah, who else? Could I, I mean, if we can get if we can get Don, and we can successfully, you know, get the interview and things like that. I mean, you know that that'll be. I think that might be somewhat enticing for other potential guests, right? Because they'd be like, well, 
okay, you know that they have a decent following. They've done many episodes. They already have one guest on here. You know that that could open the floodgates, and that would be really really cool. Yeah, that would be amazing. And maybe we'll get the attention of uh, you know uh, Cosgrove and Moore. Yeah, that's my ultimate goal is to get John Cosgrove and Terry Moore on the podcast. I told Mike that a long time ago. And I think I posted on the Facebook. That's that's my ultimate goal is to get them on there and not not to like scorn them or or give them no. like you know a tongue lashing or whatever. I get why they do why they have to keep the show off of social exactly. media and the internet. I get it. I just want to talk to them. I just want to you know what it was like to work with Robert Stack and you know you know maybe some fun on set stories and things like that you know yeah I mean that's the type of thing that you would want to get a discussion going with someone like that because you want to preserve it in some way because if no, no they don't tell the stories or they don't tell anyone about them or they don't record them in some way whether it's on a podcast form audio format or you know in written form then those stories it will never really last the test of time. No one will that no one will really be able to discover them as the years go by, and these fun stories will die along with the person that experienced them. So I, I think that would be ideal. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that that's what I would like to do eventually. Um, hopefully, it happens. Uh, I. You know, our podcast can really live up to its name um, and we can truly like uncover these unsolved mysteries. And, you know, one thing that that constantly keeps happening that I see that I'm just you you guys who listen to this prove to us time and time again, there is such a fucking following for this show and nobody uh, wants to acknowledge that or, or like appreciate that. Like as far as like people out there in TV land and the people who put stuff on you know, Netflix and all this other kind of stuff. There's such yeah. a following for this show. I mean, you know, you look at show, your your cult shows like Twin Peaks and, you know, uh, like uh, Battlestar Galactica and shit like that. And, it, and it's like, you know, those followings are, are well known. They're cult followings. Unsolved Mysteries has just as much of a following. I don't know why it hasn't been acknowledged yet. But like I said, you know. If I if I had a penny for every time someone said, "Man, where can I find the old show? Man, I miss the old show. Man, I wish the old show was still available somewhere." It's like I'd have about three dollars. Because I mean, let's face it, folks, one penny. You know, it takes like a hundred pennies to make a dollar. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think you'd I think you'd have ten or twenty or fifty. I mean, to be honest, I mean, there's that many. Yeah, out we, there. we hear it all the time. You know, and, and like like me and Mike are some gatekeepers of all this show, or <laughs> like, like there's anything we can do about it. You know, like. It's like uh, I can't. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We want we we want to uh, legally be able to uh, you know view this this stuff too, but uh, it's not it's you know not in the full cleaned yet. up you know HD. See, I don't even care about any of that shit. I, I know I don't really necessarily either, but if it, it it's possible, sure. That's how they'd want to do it, though. You know, if they were to if they were to bring the show back to Netflix or Hulu or something, they they'd want to do it in HD. They'd want to you know they'd want to remaster it and all that stuff because. God forbid you see anything that's of uh, DVD quality. Or hey, there's some things on Netflix like that. Are I there? have to. There's some movies. There's some old shows that are in 480. So, oh, yeah, okay. standard definition. Well, fucking a. Hope it happens, you know. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's like I was so excited that night when I got that letter. So I mean, you know, uh, uh, any any time we come upon a case. 
that that is a cliffhanger or that is something where I just feel like I, I need more information I'm gonna try my best to like reach out to these people and see if I can't you know get and who knows Maybe Don would respond to anybody who wrote him. Maybe he responded because I was telling him that we have a podcast that's, you know, popular and this, that, and the other. So, um, you know. I mean, well, he probably doesn't have that many people who write to him. Right. You know, think about it. I mean, it's been years. You know, you might think, oh, it's some old show. Nobody really, you know, remembers or cares about it, especially not people, you know, that are you know, my age or your age. I mean, you know, we're, you know, 28 year olds, you know, being like, man, that show, you know, I love that show. Which again, <laughs> like, it, it, that's, that's such a misstep in thinking because retro yeah. culture is like so in vogue right now with, yeah. uh, you know, get retro gaming and just the nineties in any way, shape or form. So yeah. And Unsolved Mysteries, that's a nineties. There's a right. lot of, you know, nineties kids who, you know, are familiar with that show right in some way or another and that's all of our fan base on facebook i don't i mean we 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 have a we have a few you know older people in there but a lot of people are around my age and your age and they just they remember the show they 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 saw they knew quality when they saw it even when they were little that's how i felt about it you know it's like if this was just a, I said this before, I'll say it again. If this was just a nostalgia thing for me, then there'd be a hundred other shows that I'd be still watching too. But like Full House and all that. But I don't. Oh watch, God! Yeah, yeah, I don't watch any of that stuff, and I that's totally nostalgia for me. And I, but I don't watch it. But Unsolved Mysteries, I do still watch because it was a quality show. You know, and end of uh, end of argument. You know what I mean? So. Uh, yeah, so Enough said. next week, uh, look forward to the uh, Dom Devereaux interview. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it, it comes through and, uh, you know, he uh, he doesn't have any outrageous demands or anything or, I mean, hell, <laughs> even if I have a, just a personal conversation with him on the phone and I can't, and, you know, he doesn't want me to record it or whatever, I, I'll still relay to you guys the information, so you'll get it one way or the other. All right, so... Um, the uh, the meat and potatoes of this show. Our first segment that we're going to be talking about is the Lost Dutchman's Mind. This is the first treasure segment that we've talked about on the show before. Unsolved Mysteries have some great treasure segments that they talk about. This one... Yeah, I- just like a fraud, you know, it's one of the more overlooked uh, genres when it comes to this show. You know, because there's not a lot of... You know, Treasurer kind of gets a little bit forgotten about as, long as well you know, as Fraud. Not as much as Fraud, because at least there are some Treasure segments that are on the box set. But yeah. Why there isn't there a are... single Fraud one, even on the bonus disc, is beyond me. And then there's other ones that aren't, other Treasure ones that aren't, though. And yeah. there's some pretty good ones, too. I like The Lost Dutchman's Mine. I, I, I chose this one. I like this one for a few different reasons. Um, none of them having to do with the actual treasure. There's some kind of moral moral of the story kind of things in here that I want to talk yeah. about. So I'll get to it. Uh, the Superstition Mountains in Arizona covers 150,000 miles of rugged terrain. According to legend, these mountains contain the richest uh, pockets of gold in America. It's called The Lost Dutchman's Mine. Hundreds of stories uh, and clues are all tied to one man, and his name is uh, Jacob Waltz. He found the mine in 1876, and he was nicknamed the Dutchman. Uh, according to historian Tom Collinborn, Jacob Waltz was a student of mining. He was very astute to the fact of geology, and the old-timers knew what they were looking for. If you really wanted to go looking for gold, you'd go where gold was already found, the Superstition Mountains being an exception. You wouldn't go there. 
But Jacob was willing to take chances on unpromising locations to mine for gold, and apparently he was rewarded. Uh, and they cut to the, an actual reenactment of this old kind of miner guy um, out there in the Arizona Plains, actually where Don Devereaux is from. Um, and uh, the music is, is great. It's it's like some old uh, mamas and papas sounding uh, kind of guitar thing going on there. Uh, I just thought that was uh, the, the music was great. Um, 15 years later in 1891, Jacob decided to hide his mine. He dug a hole six foot deep at the entrance, and then he laid in two solid layers of iron wood logs, and then he topped it with stones from the surrounding area. The Dutchman bragged, you could drive a pack train over the entrance to my mine and not know it was there. For over a hundred years, treasure hunters have been trying to find his mine. Several months later, after he buried his uh, mine, uh, Jacob Waltz contracted pneumonia and was taken to a friend's house named Julia Thomas in Phoenix. She tried to nurse him back to health, but didn't work. Before he died, he said there was uh, gold from the mine stashed under his bed. So Julia and uh, her friend uh, took out the box from under his bed, and they opened it up and said, My God, that's rich. That's got to be just a pocket. And he said, No, it's not. It's a vein. So that bas basically what they meant by that was they saw the gold under his bed and they said, man, that must just be one little pocket of gold out in those mountains. There's no way there's any more than that. And Jacob's saying, no, there's a vein, which is like, you know, uh, like a, a river of gold, basically, you know, but it's in its gold kind of solid form. He said, there's a vein out there. He said, there's enough gold there to make millionaires out of 20 men. Uh, Jacob, wow. Jacob continued to give details to Julia and her friend Reinhardt Petrash. Um, and he, you know, was just giving him clues to the mine. Now, Reinhardt Petrash is an important character in the story. He'll come into play later on. Uh, he left a number of clues, but he said several times, I've, I've almost got to show you where it is. You've got to know exactly where to look. Waltz died before he could draw up a detailed map showing where the treasure was. Now, even though there are hundreds of maps in existence today, none of them came from Jacob Waltz. The only direction Julian and the Petrash brothers had when they ventured into the mountains were Jacob's verbal hints. So, Reinhardt had a brother named Herman, so he, he kind of joined in on the fun, too. Um, so, Julia and the Petrashes were so eager to get out to the mountains, they went out in midsummer when the mountains were hotter than hell in a bucket. Uh, it must have been a real... <laughs> that was a quote of one of the guys on the show. It must have been a real ordeal for all of them. And it, dude, fucking man, I I know I know like with the 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 climate change and all, it's like gotten hotter and shit. But dude, Arizona it, during the summertime, even back then, I mean, you're talking uh, in the in the hundred degrees of weather, 105, 106 degree weather, and it's a dry yeah. heat, dry heat too. So it's it's just feels like there's a magnifying glass right on the top of your head. Um, so they went in for almost, then this is a, uh, a quote by one of the historians. They went in for almost five weeks and found nothing. It was noted in the Arizona Republican to be the queer quest, the queer quest for gold. Queer, of course, coming from a time when uh, it meant strange or bizarre, not meaning homosexual. They were different times. Exactly. Different times back then, folks. Um, Julia invested everything she owned into the expedition, but came back penniless. After that, her that's got to suck. Yeah, I mean, you invest everything that you own, everything that you've saved over the years, and all for nothing. Well, 
I see why she did it because she saw the gold under his bed, so she knew it, it, yeah. it wasn't bullshit. But you know, he just he he. It's it's like they said. I've almost got to show you where it is, and they just weren't able to find it. So Julia, being the smart one, the only smart one out of these three, uh, never went back after that five week expedition. She 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 cashed out and said, "Okay, uh, I lost everything. Fuck this. Fuck you guys. I'm out." She drops the microphone. Um, <laughs> Reinhardt Petrash, the one who was at the bedside with Julia, was accused by his brother Herman of not paying attention at Jacob's bedside and writing the clues down incorrectly. They never spoke again. Um, that's one of the things that I liked about, or that's one of the things that sparked my interest about this segment, first of all, is is just the power or the ugliness that money and wealth can bring out in people. Yep. These guys were brothers, man. Like, and and all over fucking gold, they they just, he, they stopped talking because it's like you didn't pay attention good enough. And, and But and it's funny to me at the same time because that's such a brotherly kind of like thing, like brotherly argument that I could see happening, like me and my brother getting into like, you dumbass, you didn't even pay attention when you were at his bedside. Yes, I did. Oh, screw you. You're an idiot. I never want to talk to you again. Like, I can totally see that being like a brotherly yeah. kind of thing, but it's just ridiculous nonetheless. Um, so Herman dipped out at that point. He was all pissed off. But Reinhardt, uh, the original guy at the bedside, he continued to search sporadically over the next 50 years for the mine. When his eyesight and when his eyesight started to go, he realized he would never find the mine, and he took his own life. Dumbass. What, what a dumbass! Like, yeah, money's the root of all evil. I mean, you know, you hear that saying a lot, and it's true. Well, now uh, it, mean, it's always it's always corrected. Like what I'm about to do now, it's the love of money is is the root of all evil, and that's the love of. Okay, and, that's, that, that's, and that's where they yeah. fucked up. They their love and lust of gold. They had gold fever. Yeah. I mean, their their lust for that that money, that prize. Um, you know, my whole thing. I mean, there's there's thousands of people that you know end up killing their wives. You know, for the insurance policy every 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 year. You know, it's or maybe even every month. Who knows? There's a lot of that kind of shit that happens on it goes on and and it's 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 for that yeah you're right it's for the love of money it, it's mike morris it, <laughs> it's it's sickening and it's just like you can't believe it you you, you can't it's like is it like uh that uh, marie hilly you know poisoning her kids so she can get oh, their life yeah. insurance, life insurance money my main my like my thing is is like okay dude you find the gold, like say you find the gold, like, like then what, you know, like you've wasted so much of your life, lo like looking for the gold, like when you find it, well, you know, it's like, yeah, money's nice, you know, we could use, we could all use more, more money. Is it worth sacrificing, you know, your relationship with your family and your friends? I mean, that's the thing, you know, you might find the gold and you have all this money, but now you're alone. Right, and, and to me, money is just a means to an end. Money is a means to be able to do certain things. But if your whole life is built around, say, f trying to find a treasure, to me, it almost becomes, it's you'd, you'd think it's not even about the money at that point. It's about the hunt. It's about the searching. Yeah. It's about the... It's the about, yeah, it's about proving to yourself 
that you're right, that you're, you're they're not crazy, that this is worthwhile. <coughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just like rubbed my nose and just hit the sore spot. Jesus. Um, and, and no, no, folks, I'm not I'm not editing that out. You, can, you can't make me. I, w- I would have edited it out at one point, but I'm leaving it in there. But yeah, I mean, it's like, dude, if he did find all this gold, it's like, yeah, that friend found the gold. I'm rich. And now let me get my crutch and walk over to my wooden cottage. And all my family's dead. And my brother doesn't like me. And he's not talking to me anymore. And uh, yay, money. You know, it's like, you, dude, you're doing it wrong, man. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like if I, if I was to get really rich right now, or make a lot of money or whatever, and I didn't have ever have to work again, you know, what I'd still be doing. I'd still be doing this podcast. I'd still be making yeah. my my silly little YouTube videos because this is what I truly enjoy doing. Exactly. Like, I get more of a high from putting out a video and having people go, "Dude, great video!" Or, "Oh, I love the podcast. Uh-huh. It helps me through my day or it helps my life." So I would still do that, and that's yeah. just, so many people don't have a passion, you know. Then they think I would do that too. I mean, if I if I won the lottery. For instance, I'd still be doing this podcast. I'd still be doing my YouTube videos. I'd just be doing it in my own place. I move out of my out of my mom's house, get into my own place. Might even invite my good friend who lives in Iowa to live with me. We collab, do videos together, and hang out. And that's pretty, and I just buy everything off my Amazon wish list. Why wouldn't you? Invite, I, why wouldn't you invite me to go live with you, Mike? I I could I I don't know I don't you you seem to be set aren't you? No, I guess I'm, I could. I'm kind of sad. <laughs> I have all my video uh, games here. I'd, I'd have I'd have like bins and bins of video games I'd want to bring with me for for posterity. Yeah. You wouldn't want that cluttering up all your VHS tapes. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of VHS, but I have a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays now too. So, but really, I mean, I, I'd even help out my parents. You know, pay back my debts. You know, I'd pay my student loans. You know, that's the kind of thing. I, I mean, I don't see myself being the type of person that once I win the lottery, I'd go insane and just spend every single bit of money that I have and then, you know, buy yachts and buy this mansion and then go in and buy all these expensive sports cars and buy drugs. <laughs> there are instances where that's happened. I can argue. Oh yeah, man. There's like it, it's it's like a fact that people who win the lottery and who 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 don't you know they come from nothing they come from not having money and not knowing what to do with it it's it it ends horribly for them uh oftentimes um not all the time there's another one that there's other times where they've been used to money and they still blow it like there's this one woman who won the lottery multiple times wow and that's something that's completely unheard of and she blew through all the money yeah, they had this uh, actually this interesting documentary on uh, E Entertainment Television back in the day, and it was called like Victims of the Lottery or something like that. And like uh, one uh, one guy actually ended up like I think he he either killed his whole family or he killed himself or something like that. It was some. I think whole... he killed himself. Oh, you so you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He ended up killing himself, and and it was all because of lottery. And, and you know, I mean, like I. I that's Love why, of money. That's why it's so funny to me. Like when the lottery here, like in Florida, it'll get up to like, you know, like uh, five hundred million or something like that. That's when people jump in. 
You know, that's when people start playing, when it gets up into the, the triple-digit millions. And it's just funny because it's like, oh, oh yeah, because, you know, $9 million isn't enough for you, you know, back when the lottery was only, oh, psh, what, a measly $5 million? That's just simply not enough. I, I have to wait until it's $500 million, you know. that Then I'll, then it's worth investing my dollar uh, on the lottery ticket. That's just, like, it's so funny to me because it's like, if I did win the lottery, I would not want to win, like, all that because, like, I know, I know myself. Like, that... yeah. I would probably spend too much on, you know, but the things that I'd spend money on, I don't think it would burn through that much that bad <laughs> because it would just be used movies and like DVDs and Blu-rays or what and VHS tapes or what. At most, the most expensive horror tape I could think of is going for $200, $300. I mean, it's, I'm not going to be spending money on like Cristal and, and uh, all this other crazy shit, pay for an entourage. I mean, it's but you know you never know sometimes though because i'm pretty sure some of those people won the lottery didn't think they would be doing that shit either but right. you know once they won the lottery maybe something happened love of money yeah so, and then a little bit of power that you get with it. oh yeah absolutely yeah i mean you get a lot of power you start you start throwing money at at people they'll do whatever you want you know especially if they're not used to money um i can tell you just from personal experience i had a guy I find him quite insufferable, but he comes up to my Applebee's gig on Saturday when I'm just out on the back patio playing music, DJing or whatever, and he only wants to hear Pitbull. That's the only artist he wants to hear. It's just every song by Pitbull. I fucking hate Pitbull. I hate Dolly. it. Oh, God. <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. I hate his music. I, I don't, I think he's a fake persona, obviously. I don't think he's even like a real, like he really acts that way, you know? Um, but he gave this guy gave me like twenty dollars one time. He just put it in my tip jar, and so you know what I played for the rest of that night while he was there, Pitbull. <laughs> and he, he didn't say I had to do that, but I knew that to stay in this guy's good graces, that's what I should do. So I mean, you know, think of what I would have done if he put a hundred dollars in there. I, I don't even want to go into that because this is a family podcast. No, I'm just joking. It's actually not a family podcast. I still find it hilarious that on iTunes it says clean lyrics under our podcast. <laughs> uh, they're, they're gonna be slightly disappointed by that if they think that. <laughs> um, and, and again, I'm trying to watch my fucking mouth as much as possible, but it's difficult for me. So to finish this segment, um, for over a century, treasure hunters claim that they have clues to Walt's mind, and maybe they found it. But curiously, they all died before they could tell their tale, and that's how the segment ends. So yeah, uh, that was a really good one. Uh, the music was great. It's pretty short. Pretty short segment, though. Um, it's a good one. I mean, because the whole thing about the craziness with the family and how it's torn apart by this obsession with this finding the gold. And, Suicide. Uh, yeah. And it, it's it's still relatable nowadays. You know, like we said, made the analogy to lottery and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think I've seen the Superstition Mountains. I don't think I've been there, but I, I, I know my grandparents, they lived in Arizona. And I think I ended up, uh, I, I, I was like, they, there was some place that, because one of my grandparents, I think they knew somebody who was a real estate agent or something. And I just vaguely remember this, and it was like, they were at this area, and the, the Superstition Mountains were behind so, you know, the, there was at this sort of, not really a suburb, but, you know, a housing, you know, area where there's a bunch of houses and things like that. Maybe there are suburbs in Arizona. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there are. 
it's just not it's not it's not uh shrubs and grass it, it, you know it's not like your typical suburban <laughs> your idea of suburbia um arizona suburbia suburbia I think, I, I think it'd be an interesting place to live um you're 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 fairly close to california um you're you're you know uh, you don't have to the worry. dry heat it gets pretty it's really hot in arizona you don't gotta but worry it's dry about... heat though and it's not humid heat so if i yeah i can to... deal with dry dry heat over humid heat any day of the week he's <laughs> trying to make a dramatic uh statement here you don't gotta worry about fucking hurricanes no <laughs> like I had to two weeks ago, which ruined my life, and like I, I still feel like I'm like not on track from that stupid hurricane. Uh, anyway, um, so that was the Lost Dutchman mine. That was my pick. The next pick is Mike's. Um, he's gonna. Yeah, uh, it's the Blind River Rest Stop Killer. It's a segment from season five. Um, Josh is way way ahead of me when it comes to watching. You know the segments that we've procured. Um, but I finally got done with season five at least. Um, anyway, uh, season five has a, has a handful of good segments, which we'll talk about later in, uh, in future episodes of the show. But this one stood out to me because of how tragic it was and how sudden it was. And honestly, how downright creepy and terrifying it is. Um, so this one, it starts out in the morning of June 28, 1991. Uh, Gordon and Jackie McAllister of Lindsay, Ontario, Canada, were the only two people in the Blind River, Ontario rest stop. At 12.55 a.m., they were sleeping peacefully in their motorhome when a man identifying himself as a police officer, he showed up at the door and started pounding on their window. And he said, of course, he says, uh, I'm a police, you know, police officer. Uh, you need to move your RV. I don't know. I mean, this is in the middle of nowhere, basically. Blind River, some rest stop. It's after midnight. I mean, I know some people would be more trusting that it would be an actual cop, but I've seen this show, so <laughs> I don't know. I'd be like, I'd be asking for a little more information, or, or you know, I'd wait a little bit. Because, you know, if it really was a cop, then, you know, they might, like, really be you know, knock on the door some more, or I could be like, Hey, are you really a cop? <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just, it's the middle of the night. I'm just trying to make sure, you know, type of deal. But then the killer could be smart enough. He could just be prepared for that too. So well, my whole there's thing always is, that. Is like, like it, I mean, I guess I, you know, obviously I've never owned an RV, but like to me is like, is it wise to sleep in your rv at a rest stop overnight like is that a pretty common like thing that that's people fairly do? common i mean truck drivers they sleep in their trucks a lot at rest stops so um you know my dad both my dads are truck drivers and he and i have stayed at a truck stop you know at a at a rest stop before so um it, it, it's it's fairly common but it, it's just the i don't know and moved our if i knew that my rv was not you know, blocking anything was not in any shape or form in any sort of trouble. I wasn't parked in a place I wasn't supposed to be parked in. And I remember me, you know, and my wife being the only people that were in our, the rest stop. I, I probably would not open that door. 
Well, my thing too is like, how hard is it to just like bust in there anyway? Like even, yeah. you know, like if you have a That's, gun. I'd be prepared. Whatever. I'd be prepared. I, you know, if I'm sleeping alone and I've, I've you know, I, I see, I don't really own a weapon right now, but if I was doing that kind of thing and I was with someone that I love, you know, I would make sure to have some sort of uh, weapon on me. Uh, so this, when a situation like that arose, I could actually be prepared to defend myself. But this was really crazy anyway, because uh, even if you had a weapon, unless you had some assault rifle, <laughs> you might be screwed anyway. It was so, a anyway, firefight! So Jackie, uh, this, this, uh, uh, he uh, opened the door, and uh, this man who the actor they did a great job casting this guy he looks and and the the the, the guy himself because i actually have a sketch of this guy he's he's just he looks like he came out of the depths of hell or something <laughs> he looks like a serial killer like you're t like you're when you think of you know there's a lot of serial killers out there that are good looking and clean cut but when you think of somebody like evil killer from like the movies like this guy is totally what you think of he's got like this thinning string stringy blonde hair he's looks like he's an albino he's got these cold piercing blue eyes this guy he looks like he's a replicant or something from blade runner it reminded me a lot yeah. of Rucker. yeah or, or like the uh the vagrant from dennis a menace yeah christopher lloyd christopher lloyd oh yeah dennis. that was who that was God damn it! You are a human IMDb page. Yeah. That's that's impressive. So uh, this guy he barges in, he demands money and valuables, and he's got a twenty-two caliber rifle and a twenty-gauge shotgun in his in his um, in his hands. So he's got one hand, he's got a twenty-two caliber rifle, and another one he's got a twenty-gauge shotgun. Dude, that I mean, guy must have been buff, man. That's that's like it's heavy holding up a firearm. He like, look that buff though. He looks like he's a, a a skinny. Maybe he's stronger than he looks. Wiry, wiry. And as uh, Jackie went through a purse, the gunman shoots her. So yeah, and uh, so yeah, I was confused. I I thought Jackie. You know, sometimes you have guys who, you know, older men. It's kind of like a nickname or something, Jackie. So, uh, yeah, his wife gets shot with a 20-gauge shotgun, you know, or it could have been the 22 or both. I think he shot both guns at her. Uh, Gordy was also shot. Gord was shot, uh, but he managed to jump out of the vehicle. And the way that this reenactment was was really well done because it was very tense, and it was shot in a way that was just... It's, it looked like something straight out of a horror movie. Uh, of course, you got that great score, as usual, and you got this killer who just looks sadistic. He looks like uh, he, he just looks he looks like a killer. And then the whole thing where he coldly says, "I'm going to kill you," you know that kind of thing. You're going to die. It was just that just that really stuck with me. Made my skin crawl. And to know that it really happened, and it's not a movie. exactly, exactly. It's not a movie. This actually happened. I mean, I would if I saw this segment when I was a kid or even as an adult. I would be paranoid about staying at some rest stop somewhere by myself or with somebody that I love. So Gord gets out of the vehicle. Uh, this is him quoted. He said, I rolled underneath the motorhome and I noticed that the, another car had driven into the rest area. And then this guy got out and he was standing beside the car. 
And the person who was in the other car was 29-year-old Brian Major. He got back into his car, but there was no escape. The gunman shot him as well, and then he ran off. I mean, this guy is just, he, he just did it so coldly and calmly. Like I said, it was like the Terminator. It was, it was like a machine. Wait, this and guy then ran this off was, on foot? Yeah. Jesus. I think he also might have gotten in a car, possibly, because there's a later thing that says he might have been in a car, might have been in a van or something. Um, but anyway, uh, here's Gord quoted again. And I was lying there just praying to God that he'd keep on running, and he did. And as soon as he went by, I rolled back out, and I got up into our motorhome, and I drove out onto the highway. I knew I had to get out onto the highway to get some help. Gordy flagged down a trucker, but by then it was too late. Gord's wife, Jackie, was already dead. The gunman's other victim, Brian Major, also died at the scene. He left behind a wife and a young son. Gord's injuries were minor. But... I always remember the thing that resonates the most to me other than just the sudden terrifying moment of just this guy coming into your home and gunning your wife down in front of you and shooting you. And then, I mean, really other than that, it's the, how tragic it was. I mean, this uh, Gord is interviewed and you can tell this is just absolutely devastating for this poor man. You can feel the emotion through the screen you, I choked up a little bit while I was watching, and I have to admit, he's talking about, you know, uh, it, 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 he's talking about how I wish I died, too. It, 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 you know, yeah, how could th- this has got to be, I mean, as far as like just feeling uh, apathy for this guy's wait, no sympathy. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. Uh, feeling sympathetic to this guy. This is one of the most, this stands out as one of the most sympathetic, uh, victims, uh, in, in all, almost all of unsolved mysteries. Um, only, only maybe secondary or, uh, maybe this guy's first and the other guy's secondary to the, uh, conductor who ran over the two boys last week. Uh, that, yeah. that guy was, well, you know, he didn't do it last week, but the case we covered last week, um, yeah. You know, these th- this guy was just you felt so bad for him. He was, you know, this is his his, his life partner, his best friend for years and years. Twenty nine years. years. Twenty nine years. Just some random act of violence out on out on the freeway, you know, out out in no man's land, and and then not only that, but you got the random senseless death of the of the twenty nine year old dude who was literally just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, I guess the old folks were in, at the wrong place at the wrong time as well, but. God damn. And the fact that that guy had the wherewithal to like jump out of the RV and roll under it, like, man, like that's some movie shit right there, you know, that you see. Exactly. So that's crazy. I don't know if I would have thought about that. No, I wouldn't have. I would have been locked up with fear. I've had a gun, uh, I've had a gun drawn on me before, and I, I'll tell you what, man. When... Well, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, yeah, I, I was supposed to be going to this girl's house, and she gave me really bad directions, and I was in a in, in a kind of a hick part of town that's like all yeah. the rednecks out there are very afraid, and they all have their guns, and I was driving, and I couldn't find her house because there was no street lights, so I drove up into a driveway that, that fit the description that she gave me, and I... I drove up into this person's yard and realized it wasn't the right house, so I backed out, and I was just on the the road waiting like i was on the phone with her i was like dude this isn't your house what the hell i just drove up into someone's yard like where is your house 
and then I see someone with a flashlight coming up, and um, and I'm like, oh, this must be her or the mom or something because she lived, she lived with her mom. And I rolled the window down, and it was this old man, and he's shining the flashlight right in my eye, and he's like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, who are you here to see? And I told him, and I guess thankfully for my sake, he knew the family that I was looking for because he lived right next to him. And at that point, I noticed in his other hand, he's got a gun, and he's pointing it right at me. And he, he said, he said well, I'll tell you what, he, he, if you ever drive up in my yard again, I'll, I'll shoot you. I'll kill you. Holy shit. Yeah, and I go, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm so sorry. Yes, sir. And then as soon as he kind of walked off, I, I, I fucking slammed down the gas, and I drove the fuck out of there like a bat out of hell. And I was I was still on the phone with her. Her mom had gone on the phone at this point, and she even heard all that. And she's like, what a dickhead. And I'm like, I'm like, lady, tell your daughter I ain't seeing her tonight. I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly dude it it, it, it cuz they have their life in, in your life in their hands and that their finger their index finger on that trigger that's your life basically right there man i mean yep. it, you know and you don't think about like oh you know if someone ever point points a gun at me through the window i'll just slam on the gas and knock the, you know his hand away or gun you don't think dude i'm telling you you don't think about any of that shit in the moment because you think oh. in a split second this guy could just pull a trigger if he sees me make any sudden move he could pull a trigger because he thinks that i'm a threat to him and yep. ever since that happened i'm still in like conflict with myself like was that guy in the right or wasn't he because i'm thinking in my in in my head if i had somebody just drive up into my yard at like midnight or whenever it was and back out and just chill in on the road in front of my house I mean, hell, that's pretty fucked up, you know. I'm maybe I would do that. That's pretty suspicious. It's suspicious. That really is. I might have done the same thing, you know. So at the time, though, I was like, "Fuck that old guy, you bastard! I'm gonna call the cops on him." But then I started thinking, and I was like, "Well, honestly, though, you know, you were technically on his property. I was on his so, property. Uh, I was some young dude, you know, had a lip ring, eyebrow ring, tattoo. You know, he probably stereotyped me. You know, was some so kind some of, drug guy, yeah, some druggy. Exactly. I was wearing like a cut off like Allison Chains T-shirt. <laughs> I didn't exactly fit the mo <laughs> of like just a lost like you know upstanding citizen, but you know, again, yeah. I was just a lost person. But anyway, yeah, it, it's terrifying to have a gun pointed on you. So, like, the fact that this guy was able, even after being, like, shot, to uh, do what he did was yeah. uh, pretty incredible because it takes a lot of balls. But, to yeah, you definitely feel for him so much. I mean, 29 years, it doesn't seem like a lot when you look at it from a perspective of, you know, just living life. But 29 years of living with the same person, that's a long time. That's longer than I've known my parents. I'm only 28. <laughs> so, yeah, longer than I've known my parents as well. But, uh, yeah, you feel for him, and uh, you can, you, like I said, you can feel his emotion through the screen. Uh, that's it's really powerful. So anyway, uh, the Ontario Papers uh, they went in and got involved. The newspapers they they published a drawing of the gunman based on Gord's description. And a witness actually came forward. He said that a few minutes after 1 a.m. on the night of the murders, a blue van peeled out of the Blind River rest stop and headed straight toward his, towards his car. The van continued dead east towards Sadbury, Ontario. The witness didn't notice if it had Canadian or U.S. plates. But yeah, he said like this van was like really driving erratically. It was, it was like a bat out of hell. And... Uh, didn't really think that much about it, uh, but you know maybe that could have been the van that the killer 
uh, was uh, drove to the rest stop in, and that could have been his getaway vehicle. Maybe that was. Please check out. A... I was gonna Go say. Ahead. I was just gonna say maybe that was the same guy that was after Blair Adams. <laughs> Police checked out more than three thousand five hundred blue and blue blue blah, blah, blah. His pen is blue. <laughs> Uh, the police checked out more than 3,500 blue vans on both sides of the border, but according to Detective Inspector Frank Ryder of the Ontario Provincial Police, they found no matches. Uh, this is for a quote from uh, Inspector Frank Ryder. The fortunate situation here is that we do have a survivor. Gord McAllister survived his wounds, and hopefully he can point out the killer someday. And I like this sort of, uh, this little scene where they had Gord... He looked through hundreds of mug shots, but none jumped out. So then the police turned to computer technology, and they actually show this technology. And it, it's, it doesn't look state-of-the-art nowadays, but back then it was absolutely state-of-the-art. And it's kind of cool. It's, I think it's interesting to see uh, technology from the past uh, and uh, to see how it's evolved uh, over the years. And this is a prime example of that. So they... End up looking at all these mug shots with these computer with the with the computer, and it's kind of like it's got this blank template of a face, and then it'll go through all these different parts of the face. It's like it, it's like it, the computer program goes through all these different uh, mug shots that are in the database. So it'll go through all these different mug shots to find the right eyes or the right nose or the right lips and, or the facial structure and hair. And uh, it ended up uh, improving upon the original rough sketch of the killer and made it a really vivid image. And that's the one that really sticks with me, it is the one that they created with the help of this computer technology, this new drawing. Uh, Gord himself says, uh, I'll never forget his face. It wasn't a robbery gone bad. There was no resistance to this guy. He was just simply going to kill somebody for no reason. Yeah, Jesus, that's uh, and that's the sad part of our society that we live in is is that you know there's people who live on the fringes you know and 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 we all you know run in our circles of society where everyone kind of follows the rules and you know obeys the laws of the land and is civil and polite to people and then there's other people who just mentally uh, have no interest in doing that or they mentally can't do that for whatever reason and then you get the this this kind of tragedy that you hear about and um you know life is random man like no matter what well that's my belief anyway i'm sure other people have different beliefs well, yeah i mean that's why you should live your life as if every day could be your last right is is because of how random life can be how how you know, you could get in your car and you could get in some car accident. I mean, all this, you could slip and fall and break your neck when you get out of the shower. I mean, these are all things that are possibilities. Are they likely? Probably not, but they could still happen. I mean, I got hit by a car, flew 15 feet in the air, and I was lucky all I did was just land on my, landed on my face, broke my teeth, broke my nose, you know, got a couple bruises here and there. I was lucky that's all I got. I mean, I could have easily died that day. So um, that's definitely, you know, that's the kind of thing that definitely puts things into perspective. Uh, apparently, this case is still unsolved. But, however, in 1999, a suspect was named. 
a former police officer named Ronald West, was also suspected in a double murder in 1970. As of 1999, he was in prison for a string of robberies. In 2001, he confessed to the 1970 murders and is serving two life terms. He has not been charged in either of Jackie's or Brian's murders. Gordon later remarried, but sadly, he has since passed away on February 14, 2012. So may Gord rest in peace alongside with his wife, Jackie. Wait, so that guy, so the guy was a cop? Yeah, Ronald West, yeah. Holy shit. Former police officer. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you, uh, that guy, I would have expected like he was some like disgruntled fast food worker or something, someone who never really made something of themselves, not some like. He's a suspect. It's not confirmed that he was the guy, but he's a suspect. Oh, God. If it was a former cop, that'd be like triply fucked up. Uh, cause you know, that's so fucked up that you invent words that don't exist. Uh, to right. Exactly. Tripoli. Well, it's, it's a, a city in, uh, one of the, uh, Middle Eastern countries, but it could also mean like triple and then why. So triple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I invent words. That, that's exactly how fucked up it is. Quadruply, um, quintuply yeah. fucked up. Um, I mean, in, again, unless this guy just fucking snapped and that's God, that's, that's awful. All right, yeah, so that was a fucked up segment. Um, Green River Valley rest stop killer. May that guy burn in hell. Blind River. Oh, whatever. Blind River. We already talked about the Green River. I I can't. All these river killers, they just, they all need to. Why don't killers ever seek out other killers? Because that's like a true, that's like the true. Oh, like Dexter? Oh, is that what the whole concept of the show is about? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, people keep telling me I need to watch that show, but uh, I just I don't have time to do any of that stuff. I'm always working on this, that, and the other. You could make time. I could like, make time, but I view I kind of view it as a waste of time. Honestly, I view it like it's like I could be doing something productive right now. You know, that's yeah. why it's like I have all these video games that I've bought and I haven't even played them yet because it's like I just won't allow myself to like waste time playing video games, yeah. even though I want to so badly. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, it's like I just feel like I dicked around so much in my early twenties that, like, you know, it's like now I need to actually just constantly be doing work so I, I can, you know, make something of myself. Um, all right, our final segment that we're covering here is the Black Hope Curse. This um, way back in the day, uh, before my video got taken down on YouTube, this was one of my uh, top ten favorite segments um, of Unsolved Mysteries. Now, I, I guess I should put a little caveat in there. Uh, this is one of my top 10 favorites out of the uh, Ultimate Collection, obviously. I have not seen all the segments in the world for me to make a top 10, um, but this was one of my top 10 out of the Ultimate Collection. Uh, I totally get why they put the Black Hope Curse on on the box set. It's uh, just a fantastic uh, story. Um, it stands out. It's, it, it, it's always stood out to me. I've, I've read about this case before. And uh, there's actually a TV movie called Grave Secrets, which I think is about is based on this. That doesn't surprise um, me. This is ripe for uh, a movie. It, it's it reminds you a lot of Poltergeist, but it happened in real life. You know the whole scene in Poltergeist where Craig T. Nelson is, is all like, "You didn't move the you didn't move the bodies. You only moved the headstones." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the same. So it, it, it's 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 the real life Poltergeist story. Mike, a lot of ways. I've never seen Poltergeist. Well, I'm not surprised, Josh. 
I, I think you might like it though, since it deals with ghosts. No, there's a lot the of those movies I want to see, but it, like I said, I just I don't know, man. I just won't allow my. See, you have a movie channel, so when you watch a movie, you're technically doing research, so you have an excuse. Yeah. But for me, it's like I, I, you know, I watch a two-hour movie. That's two hours I could have worked on a video for my YouTube channel, or I could have ah. worked out, or well. You, you should check out Poltergeist sometime, though, because you like this case. It's, you know, the, some dumbasses build a house on top of some burial ground. So, and some crazy shit happens. I did see, um, which is uh, not super related, but I did see Pet Cemetery, which is kind of, but with Well, that's animals. a good one, too. That is better. I was kind of disappointed by that one. Um, as far as Stephen King novel adaptations go, eh, it was okay. Well, I haven't really read the novel, so I can't really say well, much. I haven't either. When I when I talk about with novel adaptations, I, I I tend to give the films a little bit of leeway because books don't have a budget. Books don't have to. They can be as long as they want and have all these different subplots as they want, and there's no problems. But movies can't really do that. That's so a good point. You know, I, I've never thought about it that is way. completely different when it, when it comes to how it can actually adapt a novel. I mean, the Pet Cemetery. What I've seen that I've, I haven't read the book, but it's a thick book, 400, 500 pages long. I mean, we can't have a movie that's five hours long. I mean, that's just it's not possible. So there are some exceptions that have to be made, and you know, books like I said, they don't have to deal with the budget. You don't have to deal with the effects. You don't have to deal with the cast. Uh, and any of these other things. So um, I think that is definitely overlooked when it comes to people saying, oh, well, it's not like the book. Well, I, I think it would have been fairly unlikely that it would have been like the book, exactly like the book. Anyway. That is a good point. I, have, I never thought about it like that. I did like the old dude in the movie, though. Sometimes that is bad. That is bad. Up. <laughs> Yeah, that he he looked he reminded me of a uh, like FDR or something like. It's uh it's Fred Gwynn. He was uh oh, he was Herman uh, Munster. Oh, it was Herman Munster. Really? Munster's movie, you know, TV show. Okay, yeah. now, now that I have seen, I do know that one. Yeah, I guess and you I probably know. heard that Fallout that uh, Fallout Boy song. <laughs> you know, with the with the Munster's theme from Uma Thurman. Uh, I, no, I, I, I know of, I know what song you're talking about. I know they did a song and named it Uma Thurman, but I, I have not heard it, no. It uses the Munsters theme as its back. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Because it's main beat. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Fall Out Boy, uh, that, that band's all out of ideas. Um, anyway, Black Hope the, Curse. The Reap, so. Oh, God. Just... <laughs> Well, they're, they, I'm already not afraid. Covered, they already covered Michael Jackson's "Beat It." They done a bunch of. Other I'm stuff. not afraid. Well, I am afraid of that song because it's it makes my ears bleed. But uh, speaking of, I'm not afraid. This is, uh, I can definitely say. Well, I am afraid. I am afraid of this this uh, this particular case. Yeah, be afraid <laughs> so of the Newport subdivision in Texas. <laughs> um, yeah. So this segment is great. Um, well, it's an unsolved mystery segment, so it's you know the, you got Robert Stack, you got the music, but what really made this segment stand out as truly great is is the eyewitnesses. The high stakes and the high stakes. Well, the high stakes as well. But but to me, the eyewitnesses, uh, Sam yeah. and Judith Haney, uh, Betty and uh, well, uh, well no, um, uh, you have Sam and Judith Haney. They they had the first house, and then you had Ben and um, 
Ben and Gene Williams, uh, the, those two couples were just fantastic. They weren't acting, you know, they were, they, and, no. and, and, and you couldn't act this good if you were just an no. extra. Like they, the, just the portrayal or that, that they, that they were able to get through with their emotions, the raw emotions of what they went through. It was just, you knew it was real. Just by, like, you can't fake how they're, they were, when they were telling these stories, they were great. So let's dig into this and not listen to me fucking blabber and stumble over my words anymore, shall we? Um, just outside of Houston stands a Newport subdivision known for its upscale homes, manicured lawns, and bucolic setting. Now, thanks to this episode, I went and looked up the word uh, for bucolic because I didn't know what that yeah. meant. I don't know what that means either. It means, you know, like lush, grassy, picturesque. No. Norman Rockwell okay. painting. Um, in the early 1980s, Sam and Judith Haney bought a house at the edge of the development. Sam says it was the house they had been waiting for, so they intended to stay there for a long time. But there was a morbid secret about the house. It all began when a mysterious stranger showed up to their door with an ominous warning. He had noticed that they were putting a swimming pool in their backyard, and there was something about their backyard that they needed to know, according to Sam. He followed Sam to the backyard, and he pointed to a spot in the yard, and he said, there are two graves there, and he just walked away. Now, if that's not the beginning to, like, some kind of a movie, <laughs> I don't know what is. Yeah, that totally is. That sounds like something from a film. And Sam, you know, he's like, I, I really didn't know how to react to that. You know, I, I didn't know if he was joking. Who would? You know, I don't know why someone would want to joke about something like that. And, and then his, you know, his wife said, all of a sudden, from a knock on the door, everything changed. Using a backhoe, the Haney's tried to find out if the man's alarming claims were true. They encountered some wood fragments and they stopped at the backhoe and they got into the hole and started digging by hand. Uh, there were pine boards when they were lifted up uh, when you lift up the first board you could see the indentation of a skeleton form it didn't take long to figure out that it was actual human remains Sam had uncovered a very old pine coffin over the years it had been crushed by the weight of the earth and how Robert Stack delivers that line is just great uh, Sam immediately called uh, the sheriff and county coroner who conducted an official exhumation most bones had disintegrated, but 25 bone fragments were found, most too brittle to touch. And the reenactment's great because it shows, like, the guy who plays a corner, he's picking up the bone fragments, and it's just, like, bursting into dust between his fingers because we all return back to dust, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there was a second skeleton, too, with two wedding rings on the fragile finger. Uh, so, obviously, there was a married couple, and they were buried next to each other. Judith Haney, uh, according to her, she goes, I felt sick to my stomach. Uh, the Haney's were horrified because they, you know, they just desecrated some grave sites, you know. She's like, you know, I felt awful about it, you know, as anyone would feel. Aghast at the thought of human remains underneath their plush green lawn, the Haney's vowed to find out the body's identities, which I guess is kind of an olive branch, or you could have moved. Uh, their search led to Jasper Norton. Uh, he uh, said that their home was built upon an old African-American cemetery called Black Hope. The deceased were mainly former slaves. Jasper was the one who dug some of the graves, and he was a longtime resident, so he was able to give them that information. So, like, already we're starting off um, with with a situation that if if there were to be a haunting, we're, we're ripe for a haunting to happen. We have an, an old forgotten gravesite. We have 
probably anger that that is remaining by these these souls that that linger anger frustration um you know all these different uh very strong emotions you know they say that hauntings tend to occur in places where there were very strong emotions that were left behind that's why you hear about these civil war battlefields yeah. in the united states being haunted by these people who look like they're from the civil war and there's actually a good ghost segment on that on Unsolved there's Mysteries. stuff that there's also with these civil war uh these uh, battlefield hauntings there's a lot of these it's like these uh like you said this stress this intensity these intense moments uh they resonate and it seems like they stay with the ground you know they stay with the uh area where these things happen and there's really sort of an interesting thing uh another show that's a lot like unsolved mystery sightings it talks about sort of cases like this where it's like it, 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 these things repeat themselves but it's crazy. It's like you can see these battles being repeated. It's like there's something that was left behind. And uh, so there's a lot of these Civil War uh, places, you know, where the war had actually happened, where there's people have, have said they've seen ghostly soldiers, like, fighting each other. Right. And, I mean, in a situation like this, you know, when you have uh, when you have a burial ground of, uh, of former slaves... Yeah. You know, these people lived their whole lives, probably, um, at the very least, um, disheartened or discontent by their lot in life, you know, with this grave injustice that was being done against them. So, you know, I can imagine that the emotion that was left behind when they passed away and then to build... I mean, good God, to build a fucking housing development, to forget that there are bodies there, that that, yeah. that that there was a time in our history where human beings meant that little to where it's like, yeah. oh, fuck it. They don't even get a gravestone or anything. They're just, yeah. you know, just, just throw them in a pine box, you know, a pauper's grave, essentially, yeah. and, and, and fuck them. You know, it's just, it's horrible. Poltergeist isn't, isn't totally based on, on uh, fiction. I mean, there actually is a case. Of you know people burying you know building houses over burial grounds, right? So the people who were buried at the Black Hope Cemetery, uh, they had very little money. They marked their graves however they could, um, you know, sometimes using sticks and various things like that. Uh, the two people buried in the Haney's backyard were Betty and uh, Charlie Thomas. Only one picture exists of the couple, and that's of Betty, and it's kind of of her profile, just of her to the side. Um, the couple were born into slavery in the 1800s and freed during the Civil War. They died during the 1930s, and their graves were eventually forgotten. I just... That, Can not, you imagine that? Can you imagine that happening to you or, or, or someone you know and you care about? Like, just, you get buried and... That, that just, that, just about. that gobsmacks me to use a British term. I'm gobsmacked to hear about that. Like I, I just, it's appalling. It's very it's appalling. appalling. It's very appalling. Betty and Charlie's family weren't. That, this is quoting uh, Judith. Betty and Charlie's family weren't there anymore, and it was up to me to give them the dignity that they deserved, and that was very important to me. So Judy and Sam made a very important decision. They decided to rebury the couple in their backyard, and they vowed to live side by side in peace with the Thomases. But according to Judith, what happened after that was anything but peaceful. 
So Judith saying there was a clock in the bedroom, and one night it started sparking and putting out a blue glow. When Judith checked the clock, she found it was unplugged, and the clock was only the beginning. One evening, Sam went to work, and uh, he was working the night shift, leaving Judith alone. Quote, I heard the sl a sliding glass door open and heard what I thought was Sam saying, What you doing? Sort of ch uh, shocked me and thought he must have forgotten something. And then I went and checked the living room and checked everything, and the doors were locked and everything was fine. And I thought, You must be losing your mind. You must really be letting this get to you. But, and this is the, how she delivers this line is just like, just boom, you know, like, I. I mean, it just crescendos to this. Like I said, these these interviewers were just were just so great. She goes, but much to my amazement, that's not where the story ended. And it just like draws you in that much more. If you're not already yeah. gone into this segment, when she says that, it's like, oh my god, what happened next? Yeah, you're, it's, it's she's so sincere, and you can tell when someone's being genuinely sincere right. and honest, and it's not some kind of act, or they're just you know, making something up. You can tell, and you could definitely tell in that particular scene. So the next day, Judith awoke and tried to find her red shoes, but couldn't. Her husband, Sam, helped, but they could not find them anywhere. And then they went back out where the graves were. They could see something was on the grave, and as they walked up and approached it, they saw that it was the shoes Judy was looking for, and they were both side by side like someone had just picked them up and laid them down at the grave site. Even more disturbing was when they realized what day it was. Betty Thomas's birthday. It was like Charlie was giving Betty a birthday present. <laughs> Quote, I began to come to the realization that this was not all in my mind. Had to have some relation to Charlie and Betty's graves being disturbed. Well, duh, you think? The, ha the Haneys were not alone. Dozens of other residents complained of other bizarre occurrences. Then Unsolved Mysteries, they switch gears and they start focusing on this other couple in the same subdivision. Ben and Jean Williams thought that they found suburban paradise when they moved into the same neighborhood. Quote, when I tried to plant plants, they just would not live. I tried everything, fertilizer, everything. They still would not live. And I constantly had a foreboding feeling. Feelings, uh, things are not right or something bad is about to happen. This is Jean saying all this, the wife. The Williams said that near the flowers, sinkholes appeared in the unmistakable shape of a coffin. Williams would the Williams would fill them in, only to have them reappear again. Yeah, that's so that's so eerie. Goosebumps. Because it's you would think the coffin doesn't even exist anymore. Like the coffin is just completely just rotted away or something. Right. So, so for that to kind of symbolic, you know. Yeah, it, it's that's it's so bizarre. But it's also very, very, very eerie. They noticed strange markings on a tree, an arrow pointing down with two horizontal slash marks. A longtime resident of the area told the Williams family he was the one that marked the tree as a way to identify where his sisters were buried. <laughs> so again, we have another yard with two bodies. And again, they were black women. So again, it was probably the same or similar situation, sadly. Um, mm -hmm. And again, Jean's quoted as saying she had a similar reaction to Judith, devastated uh, that uh, here we are living on top of graves. We felt guilty. We felt like we desecrated graves. 
According to the Williams, their home was soon invaded by a menacing presence. Nebulous shadows crawled along the walls. Putrid, <laughs> putrid smells filled the air, and bone-chilling pockets of air would appear in the house out of nowhere. The I can feel the chills already, just thinking about and temperature, of course, as we know, is, is related with uh, paranormal, like, ghost-type sightings. Mm -hmm. The temperature typically, in, in most ghost sightings, there's, it always gets lower. It's cold, cold is associated with, um, with, with ghost sightings uh, a lot of times. The Williams' granddaughter, Carly, would come and stay, and she would experience these things as well. Uh, probably the most bizarre example of this is when the toilets would flush... Uh, in their homes, they would flush on their own, and when they would, you would hear voices. You just hear conversations and murmuring. And uh, I mean, that's just think about yeah. that. That would make you think you're going nuts. In the toilet, you know. I mean, it's like yeah. they're that really make, they're they you're losing it. They're not about to like what's going to happen. I just had Taco Bell. These people are going to be even more angry, murmuring in a second. <laughs> I'm just saying that toilet situation that's got to be really shitty all right enough with the puns people enough with the puns we're all adults here okay I'm just trying to add some levity to this um, one time Carly and her grandma were in uh, the bedroom trying to take a nap and all of a sudden they heard the back door open someone come in and they closed the door and all they heard was footsteps as they were walking someone was walking towards their room Carly and the grandma looked towards each other and then they looked at the door. It was at this point they realized that someone was in the house that did not belong there. And then according to Gene, we looked everywhere. Nothing. Not one soul was in the house but them. And so Gene then goes on to say, we were simply going to be tormented until we left there. Ben and Gene debated on what to do next. They talked it over. Quote, oh, what, what can we do? Walk it off and leave it? We ain't got enough money to pay down on another home, end quote. We've always been fighters. We're going to stay here and try to fight it and bear it. That's what the husband said. And that's something I always wondered as a kid, you know? It's like as soon as something like that happens, you know, with like a house is haunted or something like that, I used to think, well, why don't they just move? Why don't they leave like right away, you know? Like, why don't they get a new house? I mean, that's just like uh, the cliche that people point out in horror films, or these haunted house movies, like Animal Horror or these other movies. Oh, well, they just leave. It's like, maybe it's not that easy. In some instances, the spirit won't let them leave, so that's a whole other problem. But also, some people just can't up and leave. I mean, this is their livelihood. This is, this is they put everything into this home. They don't have, they, if they leave, they don't have anywhere else to go. Well, yeah, that's like, you know, when you get into the financial side of things, they, they have to probably take out a loan on the house or they have their life savings. They put the down payment down on the home. They're buying the home. You can't, it's not like you can just take your big ass receipt to Walmart and have them refund the house. You know, you sink a lot, you, when you, when you buy a home, you sink a lot of money into it until you can sell it and put it back on the market. But then of course you're going to have people saying, well, how long have you lived here? Well, why are you already selling it? You know, what's wrong with the house? And, and then you have to figure out like how you get around that issue. Are you going to disclose, you know, like what's going well, on? Well, there's a lawsuit, I think, that dealt with uh, somebody who sued the realtor or somebody who was selling oh, that's it. that's later on, It was like friend. a haunted house, yeah. That's, that's later on uh, in yeah. this story it's going to happen. Um, so... Uh, you know, Ben was the one who's saying, you know, we've always been fighters. We're going to stay here and fight it and beat it. Well, 
Ben had his chance to try to fight the ghosts uh, here coming up. Uh, uh, quoting Ben, uh, came home from work 10 after 12. I opened the refrigerator door and then I seen these two ghostly figures and they went straight backwards into the den. And then they started moving towards the hall, going towards the bedroom where Jean was staying. I followed them and when I walked through the door, instead of two forms being there, there was only one. And it was standing a foot and a half from the bed. The only thing I thought was, they ain't messing with my wife. And let's just get a round of applause real quick. That is a true man, gentleman right there. What a fucking guy. They don't make them like they used to. Yeah. Um, so then he dives through this entity that's like this nebulous kind of cloud in front of the bed. And I thought the special effects department did pretty good on this one. Yeah, they did. It wasn't the worst, you know. Usually on no. the ghost ones, you get some some stinkers on Unsolved Mysteries, you know. But this one was good. They actually did some computer-generated imagery instead of just, like, having a person in front of a green screen and then do the whole, like, blending it with the background thing to make them look opaque or, or whatever. He said, as I dove through it, I felt a sticky, cold sensation in my body. And I turned around and looked at the end of the bed, and there wasn't nothing there. I'm quoting him, obviously. I wouldn't be using all these double negatives. Um, Williams is, the Williams's nightmare wasn't over. Now, this is the crazy part to me. The, yeah. the Williams's nightmare wasn't over. In rapid succession, six family members were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. Three, wow. three succumbed to the disease. Quoting Ben here, he goes, You just don't have that amount of sickness in that short a period of time. These spirits of the dead wanted me and my family to get off their graveyard. That, dude, that is, that, that's six. That's chilling. And they show the family, they show yeah. the pictures of the family members like in like a, like a kind of a, a slideshow kind, kind of thing on the, uh, the mm -hmm. show. And, and you had like, you looked like you had like a six-year-old girl. Yeah, you had some older people in there, you know, that would be more expected to have cancer. But then you had some younger people too. Like you had all yeah. different uh, ages and sexes of these family members these, that were getting cancer. These uh, ghosts, they weren't fucking around, no, that's for sure. No, they were not. They were not indeed fucking around. Um, meanwhile, the Haney's lives were also unraveling. Uh, according to Judith, I was crying all the time. I was frightened. I was scared to do my daily routine in my own home. If you can think of every gambit of emotions that one can have, I was going through those things. The Haney's decided to fight back in court. They sued the developer for not disclosing that their home was built over a cemetery, in part so everyone else would know what was going on at the Newport yeah. subdivision. A jury awarded them $142,000 for mental anguish, but in a devastating reversal, a judge ruled on legal grounds that the development company was not liable. The verdict was thrown out, and the Haney's were ordered to pay $50,000 in court uh, costs. God. So here they are thinking they're getting $142,000 for mental anguish. The judge comes in and goes, no, 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 that ain't going to happen. This ghost stuff is bullshit. And so here they are. No money from the court case, and not only that, they owe fifty thousand dollars in court costs. So that's just that's just such bullshit to me. I mean, how is this not the developer's fault? I mean, seriously. Right? Yeah, I know. How from any? How can you look at it from a logical standpoint and use your head and say, "Well, it's not the the developer's fault that they built over a burial ground." 
It's corruption. No, it is. It is their fucking fault. Because, you know, uh, later on in the segment, they say, according to Texas law, it's illegal to disturb a gravesite without the permission of the family, yet a development company can go in and build a fucking housing development over it? Tell me whose pockets that uh, they're lining up in uh, the government, up in the uh, Congress or whoever to uh, make those laws passed, you know, their local jurisdiction. So it's you know it's corruption right there. That's that's state. Everything's bigger in Texas, including uh, corruption. Yeah, that's that's statewide corruption right there to 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 allow that double standard. Because later on you'll hear what I'm talking about. Um, so according to um, Sam, he said at that point we filed bankruptcy. So all in all, we ended up losing the case, losing the money, losing the house. According to Judith, we were exhausted. And we got in our car, and we went to where there was love and support, and we tried to put it behind us. And she was broken at that point, man. At yeah. that point in the interview, she was broken. She was Well, who wouldn't be? This right. is such a traumatic experience. You've lost multiple family members of cancer. You've It's been a terrifying ordeal. You, you've been through an emotional roller coaster because, you know, you don't really have the sadness of losing people or, or being terrified by this ghostly presence. But then you think you win this court case, and then well, you know, you lose everything, and you're in your you you're, you're in your you know autumn years of life, you know, where you're trying to retire and take it easy. I mean, and... that's the problem. I mean, when when you put all that money, you know, in your autumn years of life, you know, later in your life, retirement and stuff, that's it. You're you're not. You're more than likely not going to get that back. So that's what's so frustrating it's like that one guy who was a, a fraudster who created this fake logging company and oh, i love that, that that segment yeah and then he just basically screwed over all these different people uh their you know dreams of building a log cabin in in the in the wilderness yeah we got to talk about and, that one that's one i remember from my childhood um the williams the other family that was being tormented they also explored legal recourse uh, they were told without definitive proof of graves in their backyards, they couldn't do anything. And to complicate matters in Texas, it was l- illegal to disturb a grave site without the consent of the family. Which is, that's just ass backwards. Well, we need yeah. proof that you have a grave, but if you do have a grave and you just, and you find out you have a grave, it's illegal. So, uh, you know, you could but be fine. But the family is dead, so I can't really get consent from the family. Do you well, want you me to get consent find. from the corpse? Yeah. You do you want can... me to get consent? Yeah. It's hey, like, hey, George. Can you? Hey, Charlie. What is it, Charlie? Hey, Charlie. Can you? Uh, yeah. Hey, Charlie. Uh, is this sign this consent. Cool? <laughs> is this cool? So it was then that Jean made a decision that she will forever regret. And when Robert Stack says that, you know someone's about to make oh, a yeah. bad decision. Yeah. She said, quote, that was the last straw. You want a body? I'll show you a body. And I thought to myself, I can dig, and I can dig about two feet a day, and I, I knew I'd reach a body. But soon after she started digging, Jean fell ill. Her daughter, Tina, volunteered to finish the job. She dug for about a half an hour, as according to Carly, the daughter of Tina, the granddaughter. Um, she dug for about half an hour, and... Um, I remember her saying that she felt funny. She was getting dizzy as well, and she put the shovel down and went back inside, and she just laid down on the couch. And she said, Mom and Dad, I I don't feel right. There's something wrong. The last thing I remember her saying was, Mommy, take care of my baby. She looks so scared. 
Her daughter had to witness that. God damn. Yeah. It's brutal. Um, Quote, almost immediately her eyes started glazing over and I was trying to talk her out of dying. Please, Tina, please stay with me. That's Judith, the uh, mother, trying to get her daughter to uh, not die, basically. Um, Tina had suffered a massive heart attack two days later. She died. Uh, wait, let me... <laughs> Tina had suffered a massive heart attack, and then two days later... Heart she... attack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she suffered a massive heart attack, and she died two days later after the heart attack. She had just turned 30 years old. Oh, God. I mean, that's... When I first saw this, I was shocked. I was like... Jaw dropped wide open, just being like, what? <laughs> you know, if you didn't think these ghosts were fucking around earlier, well, now you have absolute proof. I mean, it's, it's, there's a body count here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a body count earlier, but now there's, a, there's a, another person who's died. And it's just, I mean, anyone who, I mean, and I know some people, oh, it's a coincidence. I don't know. Like, this is, this is. I don't know if I'd say this is a coincidence. <laughs> no, I, I I can't err on the side of coincidence for this one. So Jean says, I realized I had just desecrated another grave and now I'm paying. I told Ben, we got to get out of here. It doesn't matter what we lose. We just got to get out of here because I knew if we had stayed any longer, I, I wasn't going to make it because my fight was gone. And I love this quote here. I could fight no more forever. I just, I just love that quote. It is just so so southern. I could fight no more forever. Uh, yeah. Like a, with the, the triple negatives and the double negatives. Good lord. Just just think about the kids, and you know, it's just a tragic situation all the way around. I mean, for Betty and Charlie Thomas, you know, for but still at the same time, Betty, Charlie, they're the ones doing this. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, really. Hey man. I mean. Do you think it's gonna help things? I mean, you're gonna by, by killing people. <laughs> if I was, if, if I was, if I, if I was a black dude and I went through slavery and I, I died and someone built a house on my grave, I, I think I'm killing any white person who lives on top of me uh, at that point. Like, I, just to get just for vengeance, I think. Because they weren't, you know, they, they probably didn't have the best, like the Thomases, they probably didn't have the best view of uh, a race that was enslaving them. So I, I think it's... it sounds like they got married, at least, though. So maybe they had their own place at one point in time. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I, I think that it was just one of those things where it was these were vengeful. It's a bit extreme. Spirits. It's a bit extreme of a response. Maybe you could have uh, sent a message, be like, "Hey, can you bury us somewhere else?" <laughs> I don't know, man. I I think uh, you know these again. These people, uh, I feel bad for them because they had no idea there was a cemetery on oh, their exactly. property. I feel like the uh, development or the developer company definitely deserved to be sued on this one. They should have disclosed yes. this information. I mean, even if you don't believe in spirits and ghosts and shit, like it's just disrespectful to build a house or whatever or anything on top of a dead body. It's against the law. Right. <laughs> so the Williams escaped to Montana and then moved back to Texas. Today they are a happy family, no longer plagued by apparitions and tragedies. None of the subsequent residents ever experienced any paranormal activity. That's interesting. That's another thing. I, it's like how, how the. That's like when uh, the Talman, uh, the Talman house, yeah. the when the Talmans moved and the bunk bed was destroyed. Um, I think it was the bunk bed that was the problem. I don't think it was the. The house, the house. 
There's a bunch um, of instances. A, a bunch almost of... like Amityville. I think Amityville's a hoax anyway, because there were multiple people that moved in, lived in the Amityville house afterwards, and not, they had no experiences whatsoever. I, that is a very that's a house where a, a tragic thing happened. People were murdered in that house, but there might have been some residual energy, negative energy that was left behind that they might have encountered that might have, you know, maybe might have added extra energy to other negative things that were in that house that only the uh, Lutz's raver were really able to experience. So that could be the thing. It could have been that with Betty and Charlie Thomas. Maybe they just exhausted all of that energy, negative energy or something. Yeah, true. But then you would think they would have continued to just keep making people's lives miserable, you know, if they were powerful enough to give people cancer or to kill somebody with a heart attack. I mean... That's another thing. I wonder if they, uh, you know, when they, because both the Williams and the Haney's, they moved out. So I'm wondering, like, what, what, whatever became of those houses? You know, obviously, you would think at that point that the 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 state, you know, officials would have stepped in and be like, okay, you know, these houses are going to be condemned or demolished, and that area would be quarantined off. You would think that that something That's like probably, that probably that probably didn't happen because they probably just thought it was a coincidence. Yeah, true, yeah. These things that happen. Yeah, because, you know, the laws are very much on the side of, you know, not superstitious in any way, shape, or form. Everything's, you know, got to be... Which you know, I, I like to a certain extent because, you know, if, if the laws... You can have stuff like Ghost Boy or whatever that's completely made up and then try to sell their house or something and then... Man. Ghost yeah. Boy, that's still that's still a source a source subject when you bring it up because I thought that was such a good segment when before <laughs> I went into the uh, podcast with you that I, I was such a fan of that Ghost Boy segment. I thought it was so scary and how he had the claw marks on him. And then the, the further we uncovered the unsolved mystery, the more angrier I got and <laughs> I felt like I was bamboozled. Yep. But anyway, to finish this piece off, um, Jean, uh, her final quote here was, uh, we paid the price, and oh, the price was so heavy. We paid with our family. We paid with our health. We paid with our savings. If we had not left the cemetery, we would not be here today. I believe that. And I believe it too, Jean. I believe it too. I think. I think... Although Ben and Jean Williams also did write a book. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It's called the Black Hope Horror. I don't know about I don't know about the reviews of that book. I don't know. I haven't checked it out yet. I'm just there was the movie Grave Secrets, as well. Just I'm to the point to where just because somebody writes a book doesn't automatically mean that they're trying to no. cash in. But no. in Ghost Boy's circumstance, I totally believe that's what's gonna that that was that's what happened. But when I when I do hear that there is a book involved it does make me err towards the side of okay so now there's a financial motivation and you know whatever and that that does kind of make me err on the side of you know if i totally believed it before when i hear that there's a book deal involved and all that that kind of makes me think 
uh, okay, so maybe it did happen, but maybe it wasn't as, as extreme as they made it out to be, what was embellished, what was, um, you know, because, you know, they, they have to, we, they, they got to make good TV, as it, as it were, they have to have, you know, a, a gripping book with uh, plenty of, uh, you know, and then you get Ghost Riders in there, and, and all this other shit, and now all of a sudden your story's been, you know, fluffed out, this... and padded the book here somebody reviewed it and they added some things i don't really remember they didn't talk about this in the uh in the segment uh at first strangeness came in the form of material things snakes many of them poisonous all over the place freak rainstorms leaving behind large numbers of huge worms invasions of giant ants oblivious to hot water cycles of dishwashers uh toilets would flush themselves okay all now at all hours of the day and night um, members of the family also felt uh, that they were being watched by someone or something. Okay, they, footsteps. They, yeah, they mentioned that. O- older and younger members of the family changed significantly in terms of their personalities. That wasn't really mentioned. Cold spots, yes. Electrical malfunctions. Yeah. All right. Alarm. Ben encountered two, two black forms whose icy enveloping touch sent him to the hospital, something akin to an asthma attack. Yep, they talked about that. Similar events influenced the lives of neighbors as the new community began to grow, although no one communicated the experiences with one, one another until two decomposed bodies were found buried beneath one neighbor's backyard. Um, all right. You know, I, tol- I, I totally see why Unsolved Mysteries did not include the animal havoc. Yeah. Because that would have been, if they had chose to do it with practical effects, that would have been very costly to get live snakes. They could have mentioned it. Yeah, but I, I see why they didn't though. Because if they mentioned yeah. it, then people would be like, "Well, why? You know, why didn't you show it?" And and yeah. you know that would have been expensive. The CG would have looked awful if they went digital. Um, you know, to get live snakes on the set and all that's something that Unsolved Mysteries yeah. has never done, to my knowledge. They never really. You could have just you could have just had Robert Stock or Robert Stack mention it. So if we see, I'm we're getting so burned out. I'm, I'm mispronouncing Robert <laughs> Stack. <laughs> Robert yeah. Stock. Yeah, this, this is, is about the stuff. this is about the hour that we start petering out is at, at an hour thirty, and it's an hour thirty. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I just thought I'd just mention that real quick in case oh, was, you know. I'm glad you did. That was good mentioning because it, it seems like it's got good reviews. It's not like Ghost Boy, so it seems like it's fairly legit. Good, you've preserved this this one of my memories. Uh, research shows that many of the bodies were buried by Jasper Norton. He told the Haneys that their home and a dozen others were built at Black Hope. The deceased were mainly former slaves. Uh, with the last burial in 1939, as many as 60 people were interred there in paupers' graves. The Haneys, of course, they tried to fight, but of course, they ended up losing that battle in terms of the legal battle. But um, yeah, this also was a later episode. It was uh, it was interesting because this case this is a case that happened in the early 80s, and Unsolved Mysteries didn't touch upon this case. Didn't talk about this case until 2002. Oh, this was a newer one. Yeah. Wow. They that that talk about uh, ending the show on a strong note. That that was uh, it. Felt like a newer one too. It, it had the kind of the vibe of a newer uh, a newer show, yeah. a newer segment. It definitely didn't have that old kind of like VHS kind of feel to it. It'd you know? a creepier. It was like a and you know if that's possible, but not really. Not really. It's not really. I don't think it's really that possible to make it even creepier. 
maybe if it was like a, one of those late 80s, early 90s ones, you know, where you have that type of thing. But still, you know, it, it, there's still so much here that's just so eerie, so spine tingling, and, you know, it definitely gives you goosebumps. Yeah, this was definitely a case. There was no question that I was going to cover this case on the podcast at some point. Uh, it was just a matter of when. Uh, all the cases that I did on my top 10 unsolved, I, I'm eventually going to talk about on here. Missing Time is another one that's inevitable for me to talk about. Um, you know, these are some of my favorite cases. Black Hope is, is one of my favorite uh, ghost cases of all time. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad. Was this number one? Um, number one, I think, was Allagash Abductions. Yeah, that was number one, yeah. Yeah. This is pretty high, though. Yeah, I think it was pretty high up. Uh, Missing Time was number two, so Missing Time's when I got... The only thing about Missing Time is I've just... I've talked about that one so much before, and I've, I've seen that segment so much before. It's like... It's like, yeah, it's new to you guys, maybe, but to me, it's like... It's like I'm so familiar with the case of Missing Time. Yeah. That, uh... But it's, it's very scary, and it's a very great case, so... Um, but yeah, um, I, do you have anything else to add to this? I really don't have anything else to add except, uh, it's just so shocking the lengths that these spirits went to. Uh, it, it's, it's tragic for both people involved, you know, for both the families that were involved as well as the people who, had, you know, who died and then had a housing, you know, houses built on top of them. I mean, it, it's just an ugly, you know, it's an ugly case. It's an ugly uh, instance all the way around ugly part of our history exactly all right well that's the podcast for this week um i really 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 hope to be bringing you guys a don Devereux interview next week and it should happen i mean uh everybody please wish me luck send me good vibes because i'm nervous as hell to talk to this guy um I hope that he's okay with potty mouths, because uh, if he, if should he happen to listen to one of our podcasts just to see what, oh, let's see what these guys are, oh my God, they're they're disgusting. Um, hopefully uh, he's okay with that. <laughs> he stumbles upon one podcast. Um, the fact that he didn't have an email address where I could reach him, he just had a old school like address, kind of makes me think maybe he's a little bit still old school, but I don't know. But anyway, my mind's still on that. Um, while we've been doing this podcast, we've had uh, somebody donate to the Patreon, so uh, I might as well give them a shout out while I'm here. Uh, thank you, Rob Wynn. Um, uh, we yes, really, thank you so much. We appreciate the support, Rob. Uh, that's awesome. Um, you can, if you want to be like Rob and and pledge money <laughs> to us, uh, you can visit us on uh, Patreon.com/slash Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries. Remember to like us on facebook.com slash uncovering unsolved mysteries if you're into movies and all things movie related media related check out mike's youtube channel if you want some mike on the uh, solo tip uh, it's uh, youtube.com slash ocp communications if you're into video gaming um tv show reviews uh food taste testing stuff like that you can visit me on my respective youtube channel at youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts 